We praise you for who you are, the creator of the universe, lover of our souls, and for sending your son unto death, even death on a cross. Father, we're grateful to be here, and we're ready to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Hope everybody's doing all right. If you're visiting with us, my name is Philip Brand. If you're not visiting with us, I have the same name. But nonetheless, uh, I'm the pastor here, and I'm glad that you're here on Easter Sunday. I'm glad that you're visiting with us, and uh, it's a great day to be in the house of God, isn't it? One person. Thank you, Frank. It's a great day to be in the house of God, right? Yeah, great day. So um, I don't know what exactly is going on in your life, but what I do know is 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and he can make your life better. That is, that is what I do know. So let me just look around the room a minute and just see who's here. Yeah, good, 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 good. You, you, you were sitting up here before, heard the sermon the first time, but decided, nah, I'm not gonna be that close again. <clears throat> Too much spittle coming out from the excitement there, Joey. Do, do what? Yeah, it's kept ducking. Yeah, good, good. Got some nice, nice children in the room dressed in their... You know, their Easter best, very pretty. Smiley over here is in a nice dress with flowers and stuff. So a great Easter day. <clears throat> All right, we're going to start this morning <clears throat> with Subways. Not the sandwich. Subways. How many of you have ever been on a Subway before? Yeah? My first experience with Subway, uh, Subways was in Washington, D.C. Nicole and I went on a trip to Washington, D.C. It's the first time I had ever been there. And... Um, and we stayed in a hotel, and we parked our car, didn't move our car the entire time, but our hotel, you, you went down the elevator into the lobby, and I think you turned left, and there was a stairway that went down into the subway. It blew my mind, because in all the movies, they're outside, like these entrances to the subways, right? You, you go outside to the, is everybody with me? Like you've seen what I'm talking about, like the entrances, and then you go down and you get to the subways, but no, this was in the build, and I thought this was a great idea, right? And so we went down into the subway, we saw all the trains, figured out where we needed to go, and it was just great. Now, if you know me, you know that I'm directionally challenged. There's a couple of reasons why I'm directionally challenged. One, I'm just directionally challenged. But second, for instance, on Friday, I was going to Boone on 421 North and went west the entire time. Right. I mean, I have a compass in my car that told me I was going west while I was going north. That is a miracle. Oh, come on. Think about this. Look, 801 out here doesn't go in the direction it's telling you it's going in. It's all a conspiracy by the government to get you confused. That's, that's what I think it is. It's just a conspiracy. Oh, we're going to tell them they're going north when they're going west. <laughs> and that's what they're doing. So we went down. And if you ride a subway, you really can't see how everything connects above, right? So, so you hop down onto a subway here and you wind up somewhere over here. Like we took a subway and popped out at a, um, at a historical museum, right? And then we went down into the subway, took a subway and wound up at a, uh, 
what do you call it, a zoo, right? And so you, you're not really sure. And the only thing that you can comprehend is that you got on this train and you feel like you're going this way, but you're actually going this way. You just you get all confused. So we were at a point in our trip where I said, Nicole, why don't we just walk back, you know, to the, to the hotel? Because I would have I just wanted to see something other than subway cars and just see how the outlay of the land, even though once I saw the outlay of the land, I couldn't get you back there, right? I just wanted to see it. And so we walked all the way back to our um, hotel room and we found a couple of things. We found a Starbucks, we found some other restaurants, we found some stuff like that. Because the trip back when you're above, you can see everything that's above, but when you're up underneath, you can't see anything. And both, I think, are beneficial to know where everything is, as well as follow the subway up underneath. Now, with that in mind, I would like you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. And actually, <clears throat> we're going to start reading in verse 46. And this is when Jesus is being taken down from the cross... We're going to start reading in verse 46 of chapter 15 and then get to 16. And this is what it says. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of a rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb and Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. So here are two women that know exactly where the tomb is and how to get there. Chapter 16, verse one. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will run or roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was a very large stone. That's what the original Greek says. Actually, the original Greek says it was a very, very, very large stone. Verse five, in entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed, this is key, dressed in a white robe and they were alarmed and he said to them do not be alarmed you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified he is risen he is not here see the place where they had laid him but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee and there you will see him just as he told you and they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. I want you to look at that again. And they went out and fled. This, this is like you would flee from a place that you're scared of. This had really made me very uncomfortable in this tomb, seeing this guy in white that's clothed and I am afraid. And they fled, like they exited as soon as they possibly could and as quickly as they possibly could. For trembling and astonishment has seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Can you imagine this? Like, we're here on Easter Sunday morning, and we're pretty daggum excited, right? Right? 
We've come, we're like, yeah, risen savior, he's out of the grave. This is awesome. In fact, we have looked forward to this for a very long period of time. Like since last Easter, maybe, or since Christmas. Some of you are playing Christmas music right now. Shame on you. But nonetheless, we have looked forward to this moment where we could come and we could worship a risen savior. How in the world can you be afraid of this? What in the world does this mean? That they fled, they trembled, and they were afraid. Well, to figure this out, you have to take a biblical subway. You have to duck up underneath and go earlier in the book to figure out what this means. Why are they, why are they afraid? And how has Mark colored this in the way that he wrote his book? So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 is our first subway stop. Mark chapter 4. And we'll begin reading with verse um, 35. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. It says this. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him in the boat just as he was. And And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. So there's a storm. And he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? See, they were were in the boat and there's a big storm and they are scared out of their minds. The scared there is different than the fear at the very end of it, the phobia at the end of it. And they are scared out of their minds and they're like, Jesus is asleep. How can Jesus sleep in this storm when there's water coming into the boat? And so they go wake him up. And when he gets up, he steps on the boat and says, peace, be still. I think it was deeper, peace, be still. And instantly, instantly the storm stopped. Can you imagine being a tiny boat and some joker wakes up and says, peace, be still. And instantly it's like, clear skies, you can see the moon and the stars, everything's gone. The power that someone would have in order to do that is awesome. Like there's a fear that comes with that. We watch stuff on movies all the time where superheroes do that, but we know that's fake. This was the real deal. And there was a bad storm and instantly it was gone and the people on the boat were scared. Not in the sense that, that they wanted to run from something and flee from their life, but they were like, who is this guy? We are awestruck by his power over the storm. This is amazing. This is absolutely amazing. So power over the storm. Jesus had power over the storm. So let's get back on the subway. And we're just not gonna get off on this one, like off on the stop, but 
we're gonna read it. And this is what it says. Mark chapter five, verse 15 says, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. Let me give you some background. This guy was a hot mess. (laughs) He had a thousand demons inside of him that was making him do weird stuff. Throwing himself all around. Okay, so I know you're laughing. Listen, you just think you're a hot mess. This guy was a hot mess, okay? He was running around without clothes on, breaking chains. I mean, he was weird and everybody knew he was weird and everybody was already scared of him. They didn't wanna be around him. And so these people walk in and here's this guy that used to be demon possessed and he's just sitting there sipping his tea, clothed, normal, not abnormal, normal. And they were awestruck at the change. Like here is a guy that has power over the demons. This is a guy that makes crazy people sane. Don't you want that for your family members? Oh, you can laugh. This is good, okay? Don't you want that for other people? For people to get sane? Here is a God, here is Jesus who can do that, that can make somebody that's crazy sane. And they were all struck by this power. So over here on this side, we have a storm. Oh my goodness, he has power over the storm. And right here in this stop, he has power over demon possession. Further down in chapter five, we have our next subway stop. And it's found in verse 24. And this is what it says. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better and rather grew worse. Verse 27, she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. She felt the power of God healing her inside. She felt the disease going away. That's a dream come true. If someone has cancer, I mean, wouldn't you want them to feel that power of the cancer leaving their body? If somebody was really sick, wouldn't it be great to just feel the sickness just leaving their body and them made whole? And she felt it leaving her body and became better than she ever had been. She felt great. She felt well. For the first time in her life, she felt great. And it continues. And Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him. Notice power had gone out from him. Immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. 
And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Let me paint this for you. This lady, she knows she's healed. She knows it's from the touch of the garment and she's just gonna slip out and just go home. But Jesus is calling for her. Who touched me? Who touched my garment? And she's like, oh no, he's, he's calling to me. He didn't even know who I was, I didn't think, but he's calling to me. I didn't even know he knew that I touched his garment, but he knew and he's calling to me and I'm scared to do it. I am nervous to do it because of the power that I have felt. But the God, Jesus, who has healed me is calling my name and I'm going to go and talk to him. And when she was going toward him, the awe and the power made her afraid on the inside in a reverent way. And she was trembling and she fell down before this power and said, Lord, it was me and told him the whole truth. She experienced Jesus. Jesus met her, called to her and she came. What an amazing experience. So you've got Jesus who calms the storm. Who in the world is this guy that can do this? You have Jesus who can cast out demons and make sane people sane. Who is this guy? And then you have this lady over here. She's sick and has been healed. He has power over disease. Who is this guy? Who is he? And I don't know why you're here today, I know that you're probably here because of Easter and the resurrection, but my question to you, first of all, is have you lost that wonder of who is Jesus? See, every step of the way as we get to know Jesus and we get to know God, we should be thinking, who is this God? Who is this God that gives me breath? Who is this God that makes me safe on the way to church, that gives me bread to eat at home, that gives me shelter? Who is this God that died on the cross for me and rose the third day? Who is this God? Who is he? And I think sometimes that we are so, get so familiar with the story and Christianity and stuff like that, that we forget that this is a real and powerful God that is working in our lives today. And we need to be saying, who is this God? It fuels our worship. It fuels our love for him. It fuels our excitement because he is truly awesome. Truly awesome. So we get back on the subway, make a quick stop at this passage right here. And this is what it says, Mark 6, 50. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. This is a passage of scripture where there is another storm and Jesus is walking on the water. He has power over physics. Look, I can't swim. I don't even like the water. <clears throat> Every time I get into the water, something happens to me, except for this one. I, I love this water. I, I take a shower so I won't drown, but I don't like water. I just don't like water. I, it's just not, I'm just not water. I feel like God made water, water animals, fish, and he made man to live on land. And I, I just feel like that. I just feel like that. But nonetheless, I'm scared of water, but man, if I could walk on water, that would be awesome. You wouldn't get wet. You, your, your pant, your, 
whatever you have on wouldn't get wet. I mean, you just walk, walk around. What if I was to come to your pool, right? Everybody's swimming. And then there's swim breaks. Y'all have swim breaks at your pool? We do at ours. Do at ours, right? Nobody? We're the only, swim breaks, swim breaks. And during the swim break, while the children are out, this adult came and strolled across the water. Wouldn't that be awesome to do? Jesus has power over physics. So they recognized him coming and they were so afraid and terrified, but he says, don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> it is I. This is normal for me to do. Come on church, it is I. You shouldn't be shocked that I can walk on water. I am God. I created the water and I've already moved over it one time to create you. I'm pretty sure I can walk on it now. So we've got power over the storm, power over demons, power over sickness, and we have power over physics. Jesus is pretty daggum amazing. And so we come, get back on the subway, and we come to Mark chapter 16, and we have this story. Verse one, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Let me tell you why they bought spices. First of all, they bought it because a tomb was in several compartments. There's two compartments to a tomb and then little cubby holes. Okay, so you walked into a main part and then over on the right-hand side is where you actually laid the body. The reason you laid the body there and wrapped him up is because that is where that body was going to decay and get down to the bones. Once the body had decayed and gotten all the way down to the bones, you would collect those bones in what you wrapped them in. You would wrap it up and you would go over to the left-hand side of the tomb and you would tuck that loved one away. You would... You would tuck grandma in a little square hole and grandpa in a little square. Doesn't that sound lovely? It sound lovely in a square hole. Your mother in a little square hole, right? You would tuck them over here because this place over here needed to be cleaned off for the next person that passed away. So what happened during the decaying process? Look, these people are smart. They had these spices that they came in and they made the tomb smell really good so that when they had to go in and collect the bones, they didn't smell the, yeah, the decay, which would have been nasty. So that's why they were bringing spices. So they woke up early in the morning because I don't know if you know this or not, nobody was open at night. So when the sun came up, they went to the market and they bought these spices and then they went to the tomb. Everybody thinks that they were scared to go to the tomb. Let me tell you, these were women. They were not scared to go to that tomb at night. I don't wanna impact that, but they just weren't scared, okay? So they come with the spices to do this. So in verse two, it says, and very early in the morning, first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? It was like, they, they were saying, good night. We should have had a man come with us, maybe a couple of them, because I think that tomb's pretty big. Don't you, Mary? Yeah, we saw it the other day. I'm not saying that you're not strong, ladies. Don't throw things at me. I'm just saying they realized they needed somebody stronger than them to roll away the tomb. It's in the text, argue with God, okay? 
So they're like, okay, who's gonna do this? I don't know, I'm not strong enough to do it. We really should have brought some guys with us to do this. So they're wondering, because they're not expecting a resurrection. And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. By the way, they looked up because, the, not because they were looking down and looked up, because the, the tomb is actually on a hillside and they had to walk up a path to get there, okay? So they looked up and it was very, very, very large, the stone. Verse five, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You who seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, he is risen, he is not here. See the place where they had laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter, he is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. Trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Let me paint this for you. It's amazing that somebody can calm a storm. It's mind boggling that somebody has power over demons and can make a sane man sane. It is mind boggling that someone has power over sickness and disease and can heal. It is mind boggling that this Jesus can walk on water. But what is more mind boggling than that is that this Jesus had the power to raise himself from the dead. Who is this God? It just gets better and better and better. Now in scripture, all three persons of the Trinity are involved in the resurrection. God the Father is said to raise Jesus from the dead. The Holy Spirit is said to raise Jesus from the dead. And Jesus himself is said to raise Jesus from the dead. Why? They're three in one. It's the same God. And if you died right now, you're not gonna resurrect yourself. If you're a Christian, Jesus is gonna do that for you, but you're not gonna do it. I don't have the power to do that. So it's, it's okay, man, this is power. This is power. This is power. Walking on water is power, but oh my goodness, he rose himself from the grave. That is amazing. And so of course they were terrified. Of course they led, left awestruck. Of course they were afraid. Of course they didn't say anything. It was that amazing. That amazing. This is a powerful, powerful God that we serve. Whew. It's good stuff. By the way, I get tickled every time I read this because the women, you know, they showed up at the tomb and the door was open. Women are so curious. They're so curious. I'm not making fun of you. It's just a fact. I live with one because that's the way we like it. She will ask me questions, like 50 questions about what I'm doing because she's curious about what I'm doing. And it irritates me sometimes to no end. I don't wanna be asked these questions, but she's curious. Why are you doing it this way? Have you thought about this? Did you do it this way? This is question and this question, this question and this question. And there's these women, they just are curious. See, women came to the tomb and they saw it was open and they said, oh no. And they walked on up there right into the tomb, just try to see, okay, what has happened here? Where is he at, right? Guys, totally different. We would have walked up and said, okay, wait a minute. That tomb 
that stone is rolled away and that's a pretty big person. Let me think about this a minute. So we would have contemplated, looked around. Is there any soldiers, anybody around, any big people? Okay, so we're gonna slowly go up the path. See, I don't think the women slowly went up the path. The guys would have slowly went up the path, got to the entrance, had their swords ready, right? Made by Glock. (laughs) And they would have peeked in just to see what was happening, but they were ready to go because in their mind, somebody big has moved this tomb. That's how a guy would do it. But the women, you know, they just kind of, what is going on here? Why is he gone? You know, that sort of deal. But they leave, and this is kind of comical too, but it makes a point. They leave speechless. Now, if a woman gets speechless, she's stumped. Absolutely stumped. And she left stumped, overwhelmed by the power of God. That's what that means. Overwhelmed by the power of God. So let's take another subway and continue this. I want you to go to verse six. They're talking to this guy in the tomb. In verse six of Mark 16, it says, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. Now that's interesting to me. Tell his disciples and Peter. Is is it because Peter was a favorite and that God has favorites and Peter was just his favorite? Absolutely not. It's not because Peter was his favorite. That's not it. There's something else going on here and Mark is trying to bring us into something. So it's all the disciples and it's Peter. So what subway can we take to another portion of Mark to try to figure out what's going on here? Well, turn quickly over to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. And we will begin reading at some point in the text. You know, sometimes I wonder why I have my notes up here, but this is why I have my notes up here. Now I can't find where I'm wanting to go. Mark 14, I had this clearly marked, obviously not. Thank you, 27. Verse 27. See, that's somebody that may have been in the first service. 27, yes, go go with 26. Mark chapter 14, verse 26. And if you notice, that was my wife who was giving me directions (laughs) in the subway. Yep. Mark chapter 14, verse 26 says this, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them, you will fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. He's telling all his disciples, you're gonna fall away. You're gonna betray me. You're not gonna be with me in my time of need. Then he says, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Now we know that Peter denied Jesus as 
It's in the next chapter. He denied Jesus and heard the rooster crow and he felt very bad about that. So Jesus knew he was going to do it and he did it. The disciples fled in the garden. They were gone. They betrayed Jesus. In his time of need, Jesus had no friends. And Jesus, knowing this was going to happen, (laughs) Jesus, knowing that these people were going to fail him, says this in verse 28. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Let me ask you a question. If someone ever left you in your time of need, if someone ever betrayed you, would you eat with them three days later? Oh, I know, I know you betrayed me, but if you can come on over for dinner, I've prepared something for you to eat. There isn't a person in this room that would eat with that person that betrayed them, right? And if you knew it, you probably even wouldn't be hanging around them anyway. That person is dangerous. I'm not gonna hang around them because one day they're gonna turn on me and put the knife in my back. I am not going to hang around them. Here is Jesus and he's saying, you are going to betray me, but I am going to rise again. And when I do, I'm not coming after you. I'm gonna meet you in Galilee and we are going to eat dinner with each other. Wow. Why is that? I will tell you why. Because Jesus values you. Jesus values people. Let me put this in perspective. Jesus, power over the storms. Jesus, power over demons. Jesus, power over sickness. Jesus, power over water and physics. Jesus, the ability to raise himself from the dead, this powerful God values you. He values you. At any any given moment, he can take you out. He has the power to do that, but he doesn't use his power that way. He used his power to save you because you are valued. You're valued. Hey, disciples, I know you're gonna fall away, but I still love you and I value you. Peter, you're gonna deny me three times and then cuss about it. But I'm gonna meet with you after I'm risen because I value you and I love you. I don't know what you have done in your past. I don't know what you've done this week, but this is what I know, God values you anyway. Does he approve of the sin? Absolutely not. But does he value you as his creation? Absolutely. God values you. You see, he values you even though he knows you are going to fall. That's the next screen. He values you even though he knows you are going to fail. How many of you have failed this week? Every hand should have been raised. You know what God did? God said, I know all those people are gonna fail this week. They're not gonna act correctly. But what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna meet with them at church on Easter Sunday. And he's always here. He knew you were gonna fail, but he didn't allow that failure to cause him not to meet with you. 
Isn't that awesome? Church, isn't that awesome? We give up on people all the time, but he gives grace. Grace. He knows you're gonna fail, but he still gives you grace because he values you. Check this out. He values you, he values you because you are his creation. You see, he created a lot of stuff in the world. He did. But you and I are created in God's image. And he values you because you are created in his image, because you are the pinnacle of his creation, because you are what he had his hope and dreams in. He wanted a relationship with you. That's why he created you that way. That's why he created you in his image. And he values you because you are his special creation. This is why abortion is wrong. This is why every baby that is born is valuable to God. This is why every child in this church is valuable to God. This is why every teenager and every young person in this church is valuable to God. This is why moms and dads and grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles at any age is valuable to God because you are his prized creation. And that is an amazing thing. And that is a proclamation of the resurrection. You are worth something to somebody. And that somebody is Jesus Christ. Whew. Let that sink in. You're valuable. When you're alone in your room and you think nobody cares, Jesus does. He cares for you. Here's the last one. He values you enough to meet with you. <laughs> I can think of a hundred reasons, which is probably should be a thousand reasons, which probably should be 10,000 reasons for him not to meet with me. God has better things to do. I don't know if you know this or not, but he's, Spinning galaxies, keeping control of everything. He's got oxygen enough. It's not gonna go away until he comes back. I know you environmentalists think differently, but God's in control. We're gonna be able to breathe until he comes back. Right? That's just the theology and science because God runs all that. But he values you enough to meet with you. He values you enough to say, hey, I'm here. He values you to say, you're gonna betray me, but I'm gonna go before you into Galilee and I'm gonna be at the room where you're gonna be at waiting on you to come to me. Waiting on you to come to me. So my question to you is, do you value him? Do you really value him? A God that is so powerful to do storms, demons, sickness, walk on water, raise himself from the dead, that values you. Do you value him? Do you value what that God did for you on the cross of Calvary to save you from your sins? Do you value the life that you can have in him through the resurrection? Do you value Jesus? He values you. Couple of things. One, if you come to church just every now and then, you don't value Jesus. 
It's not that church is a rule. And it's not this church. There are other good churches. I firmly believe that. I personally think this is the best one in Davie County. Right? And I even come here when I'm on vacation. Right? I will show up, do the service, and go home. I love this church. So it's not about this church, that church. It's are you valuing Jesus enough to be with his people and worship him one day a week? Do you value him enough? Do you value him enough to say, thank you for the last six days that you have given me in life. I'm going to give you two hours of my time to worship you with other people. Do you value Jesus enough? Because let me tell you something, there is no question that he values you. The only question is, do you value him? And he values you so much that he gives you a choice. You can follow him or you don't have to follow him. That is grace. There's repercussions on this side. Yeah, of course. But he still gives grace and he's still like, hey, I'm here to meet with you. I rose from the dead so that you could meet with me. I rose from the dead so that you could have a relationship with me. Do you value him enough to worship with his people once a week? Is that a value to you? That should be the number one thing that you and I do. It should be superior over everything else that we do in this life. See, there's stuff that we do that is just valuable, but it's not as valuable as spending time with a God who wants to meet you at a certain time in a certain place and wants you to worship with people. He says, where two or more are gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. Do you value him enough to do that? Second, some of you in this room, I'm sure, that have had bad experiences with churches. I've had bad experiences with churches because sometimes churches are ran by the power of man and not the power of God. And when the power of man gets involved, there's always conflict. There's always division. There's always people pitting against each other. There's always personal personal things going on and political things going on, but a church that is ran by the power of God that follows him to the best of their ability is a church that is healthy. And you may have experienced a church that was ran by a man or man by, ran by a group of people. That is not church. A church is a place that recognizes that we serve a powerful God and I am not it. And we will follow him wherever he goes so that the world will have life and hope. I follow a resurrected savior and you should too. It is what we spend everything here around. It is what Jesus wants. It is his kingdom here on earth and we follow him. Do you value him enough to follow him in that way? If you've been hurt at a church, do not let that skew your view of a mighty, wonderful, powerful God. Because there's a major difference between man's power and God's amazing power. Amen? Some of you might be in here and you're like, I don't know if I believe this stuff about the resurrection. I just don't know if I believe it. Sounds like a myth to me. Well, you've got a problem. I'm not trying to be all that in a bag of barbecue potato chips, but I'm just gonna shoot you straight. You've got a problem. The problem is that historically, Jesus Christ existed. 
Historically, Jesus Christ died on the cross. Historically, Jesus Christ was buried in a tomb. And historically, that tomb has been empty for over 2,000 years. Okay, I was with you on all this, but the tomb, I'm not so sure. Okay, well, there's 500 witnesses, eyewitnesses to his resurrection. 500. 500 people that saw the resurrected Christ, that knew that that tomb was empty, and they testified about it. Ladies and gentlemen, that is historical evidence. So at this point, our little myth thing is because you might not want to bow down to a God that that's powerful, or you don't want to admit that there is a God that that's powerful. So you don't have to bow down. Well, my prayer is that you bow down to him today because he values you. He values you. And today is the day that you say, Jesus, I don't know how to start a relationship with you, but I want to find out. And I'll be up here to talk to you about that if you if you would desire to do that today. But you're like, oh, I don't know how to start a relationship with you, but I want to today. If you decide to walk out of here thinking it's a myth, one day you won't be able to do that. The Bible clearly says that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The difference on that day is if you haven't received Jesus, while you could freely do it, you will not be able to receive Jesus then. Every person that has ever lived will bow down to a very powerful God that's not only in power over his creation, but is powerful enough to raise himself from the dead. Whew. And he wants a relationship with you. He wants a relationship with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day.